Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Sunday morning Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible class every Sunday morning, posted at 9.30. For those who cannot be with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, and also for those who are listening in other parts of the country and literally around the world, we're thankful to be able to post these Bible classes through podcast and using the medium of the internet to be able to spread God's word all over the world, basically. And we want people to be able to study. There are people who want to learn. They want to grow in their faith. They may not know exactly which way to turn to get the instruction, the training, the teaching from the Bible that they need, that they're seeking, but we're here. We want to help. And so we offer these Bible studies, again, to everyone who has access to the internet They can download these podcasts, and they can study God's Word with us on a regular basis. Now, these Sunday morning Bible classes are posted at 9.30 each Sunday morning, and we also also post our our sermons on Sunday morning right after that, well, at at 2 o'clock each Sunday afternoon, and then we post a Wednesday night Bible class every Wednesday evening at 6.30. We're thankful again to have the ability, the means, and the opportunity to be able to spread God's word along these lines. We hope that that's helpful to you. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come and study with us and worship with us and grow spiritually with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, 3606 North 108th Street, and you're welcome to any and all of our services. Bible classes Sunday morning at 9.30, followed by worship at 10.30, and then Wednesday evening Bible classes at 6.30 each Wednesday evening. We want to encourage you, as we always do, share these studies with everybody you can. You know people in your life, undoubtedly, who need to turn their focus in their life around. They need to start thinking about their souls, about their relationship with God, and about eternity, because it's coming. So share these studies with them. You can do that through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. But make that commitment and start sharing regularly with your family members, friends, work associates, neighbors, with literally everybody you can on an ongoing basis. You may help somebody grow in their faith. Maybe you'll help somebody turn their life around and even get to heaven. That'll be a great blessing for them but it will also be a great blessing for you. Now, also encourage everyone to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Scroll down the homepage to our podcast button. Click on that and sign up for our podcasting. It is free. It always will be free. We're not after people's wallets. We want to help people get to heaven. When somebody signs up for our podcasting, they will automatically receive our Sunday morning Bible class, our Wednesday night Bible class, and also they will receive a really wonderful, short, about a 13-minute Bible study every day that we call today's Bible class. And they will receive our Monday through Friday daily radio program, Search the Scriptures. While at our website, they can also download and listen to, and now many of these sermons are already posted on video as well as audio formats, and so they can download and listen to 
hundreds of sermons, and they can download and study through hundreds of biblically-based and spiritually-focused articles that have to do with our spiritual lives. Well, all of that is free, and it always will be free. So we encourage you, take advantage of this and encourage everyone else you can on a regular basis to take advantage themselves. Tremendous Bible study resource materials right there for anybody's use, and they'll always be free. We're going to get back into our study in the book of Exodus. We have come a long way, and we are doing some skipping now in the text because we're, we're looking at some chapters and sections of chapters that are dealing with, oh, kind of a technical rundown of certain laws, laws of you know, this kind of law and this kind of law, spiritual, but, you know, having to do with different aspects of God's law that he is communicating to his people, Israel, molding them and shaping them into the nation that he has wanted them to become. Ultimately, he's leading them to the promised land, and that would become their land over time, the nation of Israel. And so he's giving them his spiritual law, but this law governs basically every part, every part and every aspect of their lives. Now, again, we're not trying to stay in those various texts that get rather technical and kind of get kind of tedious. So I've been skipping over some of the chapters once we got to that particular part of the book of Exodus where God starts giving them the various laws. And we're looking more at the narrative again along the way, something very significant happening while they're at Mount Sinai. And we're going to continue that through the rest of the book of Exodus. Now we're in chapter 34. We have come to the point where Moses had received the original Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, but he had been gone from the physical presence of the people based at the, uh, or, or, or scattered around the base of Mount Sinai. He had been gone for about 40 days. Over that period of time, they had become anxious that maybe he was dead, maybe he was never coming back, maybe he got lost or something. And so then they became, well, their faith weakened a great deal. And I'm not sure for most of those who went down that line if their faith was ever very strong to begin with. But they wanted some visible symbol of a god or a leader, something they could look at and say, okay, there, there it is. So they, they instigated or motivated uh, Aaron, Moses' brother, to fashion for them a golden calf, and then he manufactured an altar for that calf, and they looked at that and said, this is our God, this is our God, and they worshiped that God. Well, how sad that was, how, how foolish it was, and how short-sighted. God had taken care of them. He had delivered them from bondage in Egypt. He had led them across the Red Sea on dry land, closed up the waters on the, the pursuing Egyptian army behind them, destroyed that, that army of chariots. He had led them for a period of time through the wilderness, fed them, watered them, and now they're at the base of Mount Sinai. They're worshiping God, and Moses is gone for just 40 days, and they lose faith. They become anxious, and they want to 
an idol to be formed before them? Well, we talked about that. Again, how fickle humanity can become. So God told Moses, get back down there. The people are, they're not staying faithful. So Moses comes down from the mount and he chastises the people. He breaks up those tablets on which the, the Ten Commandments have been written, puts them in the water and makes them drink the water. But he also calls the people, whoever would come to him, whoever is on the Lord's side, let him come to me. The tribe of Levi comes to him and he tells them, put your sword on your hip or at your side. And they would go from one end of the camp to the other. And I think we're to understand that those who would not stand with Moses, that they were executed on the spot. And about 3,000 men were executed that day. God's judgment, God's discipline, because the people had become unfaithful. They had become short-sighted, and they had gone back to worshiping idols, or at least an idol in this case. Well, now, in chapter 33, we read where God told Moses, it's time to move on. It's time to get to the promised land. It's time to start putting things, my plan and your faith, the faith of the people, the direction of the people, into action, into motion. And so he tells Moses, Time to leave, time to head in that direction. Moses meets with the Lord in chapter 33. And he asks the Lord, can I, can I see your presence? And God says, I'll let you, I'll pass by and let you see the, my back. Put him in the cleft of the rock. Put his hand over him. And then as he passed by, he let Moses view his back. But he said, no one will see my face and live. Now, in chapter 34, is where we're going to pick up in earnest today, God is going to have Moses make some new tablets of stone on which the Ten Commandments are going to be inscribed. And so beginning with, with verse 1 in chapter 34, the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablet which you broke. So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you. Let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither let the flocks nor herds be, uh, feed before that mountain. So God is saying you come up and, and the idea is the presence of God is on the top of that mountain. And, and, and so he says, no man's going to come up with you, just you. Now, he's already instructed Moses that I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to speak to you face to face. Now, that doesn't mean Moses can see the Lord's face, but he's going to speak to Moses face to face. Then Moses is going to communicate God's will to the people. And certainly, we've already seen that will being communicated in the form of various spiritual laws. Well, God's about to give Moses two more tablets to replace the first two tablets that he broke when the people had become, well, they had become unfaithful, become out of, out of, out of order and out of control. So no man shall come up with you. In other words, just you are, are, are going to come up. And don't even let the flocks and the herds feed before the mountain. 
So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai, and the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud. Remember that the pillar of cloud was symbolizing God's presence. And he told Moses at one point, you, you set up your tabernacle or the tent uh, outside the camp and the people who need to come and inquire of the Lord then come there and the pillar of cloud will symbolize my presence there at that tent. So the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. You see, righteousness and faithfulness is a big deal before God and in God's eyes keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and the transgressions and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. And so Moses is at this point pleading the case for the Israelites. Now he'll do, he does this a number of times during the period of their leaving Egypt and ultimately getting to the promised land to take possession of it. He pleads their case because the people of Israel, the Israelites continually demonstrated weakness in faith and wishy-washiness in their determination and dedication and commitment to follow God faithfully. In verse 10, he said, Behold, I make a covenant. Now, this is God responding to Moses. Behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among you, are, 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 and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. And so God is telling Moses, I'm going to do some things that are incredible among the people before you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. <clears throat> now, God is telling Moses, I'm going to drive these people out of the land that I promised to your forefather Abraham that through his descendants I would give this land. This is going to become your land. But there are people who are living there, different nationalities who are steeped in idol worship, and I'm going to drive them out before you. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall, wor you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. 
lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifice to their gods, and one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. You shall make no molded gods for yourselves. One of the, dif- one of the greatest difficulties for the Israelites to overcome and finally put away completely and forever was the worship of idols. They struggled with this for hundreds and hundreds of years. And here God is very direct, very firm, and very detailed. You cannot worship idols. You cannot worship any God other than me. And of course, there is no other God but God. He is the only God, true God. Again, how foolish it was for the people to want Aaron when Moses had been up in the mountain for 40 days to begin with. How foolish it was for them to ask Aaron to make them a God. And how foolish it was for Aaron to submit to their request and do exactly that, although all he did was make an image of a golden calf. It was not a god, but they wanted to recognize it as a god, an idol, and they worshipped it. Well, that's rebellion against God. That's unfaithfulness to God. And so God is telling Moses very directly, in some detail, very firmly, you shall worship no other god lowercase g, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. And God is, is, is telling Moses, when you, you get to the promised land, when you lead the people to the border of that land that I am ready to give them, I will drive those, those foreigners out because they're idol worshipers. And you, the people, should have nothing to do with them. Because if you leave them there, and particularly if you leave their places of worship through which they worship their idols, that can become a temptation and a snare for, your peop- for the people, for the Israelites. I want them to be my people. I want them to be a shining example of the people who recognize that there is only one true God. I want them to be the people, now he doesn't tell Moses this, but we understand that through the bloodline of the Israelites, the Savior would come into the world. And so he says, you don't leave any of those people, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, you don't leave them in the land that I'm going to give you. You don't let them leave their places of worship up, uh, worship in place. You don't let them leave their idols standing. You destroy all of those, break their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, because all of that can become a temptation for the people, for the Israelites. You don't make a covenant with them. Now, a covenant is an agreement. You don't make any kind of covenant with them because, again, that can become, that kind of association can become a snare or a temptation through which the devil can work to lure the Israelites, my people, 
they can lure them into worshiping idols. You don't let your you don't let their daughters marry your sons. You don't let your daughters marry their sons because again, in that intimate, close, personal relationship of marriage, they can lead your sons and daughters to worship their idols. And that is absolutely condemned. You shall make no molded gods, lowercase g, for yourself. No images, no statues. The Feast of, the Un- of Unleavened Bread, verse 18, you shall keep. Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Passover. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you. In the anointed time, uh, in the appointed time of the month of Abib, for in the month of Abib you came out from Egypt. All that opened the womb are mine, and every male firstborn among your livestock, whether ox or sheep, but the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem him, then you shall break his neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. Now, this is the Sabbath day worship for the Israelites, not for Christians today. The seventh day of the week, that was their Sabbath. That has not been brought into New Testament Christianity. You shall observe the feast of weeks of the fruits of the wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year all your men shall appear before the Lord and the Lord God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up and appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, nor shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be left until morning. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write these words. For according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Interesting. So God re-communicates to Moses these Ten Commandments written on, written on the stones that Moses cut out and God instructed him to cut out for that particular purpose. Now, it's interesting. When Moses comes back down off the mount, his appearance, or technical word, his countenance, had changed. Beginning in verse 29, Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. Oh, so when Moses comes down from the mountain after being in the presence of God, his skin is shining, his face is shining. Moses does not know that. So when Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. 
you see again Moses' appearance had changed. Now it's not the idea that all of a sudden when he went up there he was eight, he was five feet eight inches tall and now he was six foot five. That's not what we're talking about. But there was an aura, if you would, a shining from his skin that was still there when he came down from the mountain after being in the presence of the Lord. And so when Aaron and the people of Israel saw Moses and his, his skin shining like this, they were afraid to come near him. In verse 31, then Moses called to them and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. So he calls them. Maybe they were concerned, they weren't sure just exactly who this, this person is now. Maybe that might have been part of their, their fear, you know, in coming near him. What's happened to him? He looks different than he did when he went up. So afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. So Moses is communicating to the people now what God had instructed him to communicate to the people more of God's law, spiritual laws for the people of Israel. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. That's interesting. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, now remember, God had already told him, I will speak to you face to face, and then you speak to the people and tell them what I have told you. So whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whatever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. And so this was a practice. Now perhaps it was to alleviate the fears of the people. Perhaps there was something deeper in Moses' mind as to covering his face with the veil periodically when he, after he had been with the Lord. Interesting, interesting. Uh, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it have been interesting to have been there to be able to see all of this taking place as it was happening? Well, but we can read about it all right here in God's record, which is the Holy Scriptures. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for communicating to us your will through your word. Thank you, Father, for having your inspired writers, the writers you guided to write your very word, write down all of these different happenings, all of these different details, so that we can understand more fully and more deeply all that went into what we ultimately experience and enjoy today as New Testament Christianity. Thank you, Father. You are all-knowing, you are all-wise, you are all-powerful, and we give you all the glory. Help people to see your will for their lives and your will being the only real hope that they have in life and for eternity. Help us to be the shining lights that you would have us to be as your people before the people of the world who have not yet come to you in faithful obedience. Help us and guide us, Father. Now we pray for all of those we need to be praying for at this time, 
who need your special blessings and care at this time. Please be merciful and gracious with us, Father. We pray, please, at this time, please forgive us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.